Well, welcome to The Crossing. How you doing today? Kind of doing okay? Well, good. We're glad that you're here. I want to let you know about a couple things that are going on here in the next few weeks at The Crossing. In two weeks, Gene Apple is going to be speaking for all of our weekend services. Uh, Some of you may know who Gene is. Uh, Gene was the senior pastor at Central Christian Church for 17 years, and it was Gene's vision that started Canyon Ridge Christian Church years ago, and it was Gene's vision that started The Crossing, that we would not be here if it was not for his vision to plant churches throughout this city. And Gene is now the pastor at Eastside Christian Church in Anaheim, California. It's one of the largest, fastest-growing churches in the United States. And Gene is one of the most gifted speakers on the planet. And so you want to be here, bring a friend. You will not be disappointed. That'll be two weeks from today. And three weeks from this weekend is our marriage conference. Our marriage conference is called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And Mark Gunger, who is one of the most sought-after speakers on family and marriage, is going to be here at the Crossing Friday night, Saturday morning, March 10th and 11th. And we want to encourage you to be a part of this. Darla and I, we will have been married 30 years this year. It's kind of amazing. And uh, thank you. That's for her for putting up with me all of these years. We grew up together, and she's my high school sweetheart. But our marriage is is the investments that so many people made in us over the years. It's people who have invested in our relationship at different seasons of our relationship. In this marriage conference, it is an investment in your marriage. The stakes are high. And we want you to be blessed. We want to have strong marriages. So be a part of that. We'll tell you more about that at the end of the service, how you can get signed up for that. Well, we're in week three of our series that we're calling Messy Grace. This series, we're just walking through one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. And today, I want to talk about hope. We're going to talk about hope. Now, if I asked you to fill in the blank here, what would you put? I hope what? What is that for you? Maybe your hope is, I hope the sermon's short today. Or... I hope that it's warm, you know, it stays warm for a while, or I hope to get the job. I hope to retire someday. I hope that I make the team. I hope I get accepted. I hope she says yes. I hope I win megabucks. I hope the Cubs will win the World Series. I mean, there's some hopes that are unrealistic, but I mean, we all have hopes. All of us have hopes in our life. Well, let me give you a definition for hope. Here's the definition for hope. Hope is the person or thing on which your expectations are focused. Hope is the person or thing on which your expectations for the future, whatever your hopes are for the future, that's what they are are focused. And all of us have these expectations that we have for the future. And our hope maybe is based on some relationships. You maybe have your hope based on, on a relationship with somebody in your life. Or maybe your hope is based on your career or your job. Maybe your hope is based on your ability to kind of pull yourself up and get it all done. Maybe your hope is based on your looks, that you have focused your hope on something. So how do you maintain hope in what seems like a hopelessly broken world? Because if you've placed your hope on someone or something, then you know the tension that we all live with. Because eventually, they will let us down. 
Eventually, something is going to let us down. You understand this tension. If you've ever stood at the altar and said, till death do us part, and your spouse said the same thing, but what they meant was, or until someone else better comes along. You know the tension. That there is this tension of, how do you maintain hope in a broken world? I like to think of hope like this. I like to think of hope like a ladder that you lean against a wall. And the interesting thing is we never remember doing this in our life, that we lean our ladder of hope against something. And when we were born, you leaned your ladder of hope against your parents, that you trusted that they take, would take care of your needs. And then as you got older, you took your ladder of hope and you began to lean it somewhere else. Maybe you leaned it on your own abilities, your abilities to get the scholarship, your ability to connect, your ability to make money, your ability to attract the right person. And here's what we discover, is that whatever you lean your hope in is not as stable as what we thought. That if you lean your hope on somebody or something, it's never as stable as we thought that it was. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Romans chapter 8? Because today the Apostle Paul is going to talk about this hope. But he's going to talk about the basis of our hope. Because all of us, we hope in certain things. But Paul's going to say, you know, in this broken world where there is brokenness around us, he's going to give us the foundation for where we put our hope. We're going to start in verse 18. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start verse 18. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present sufferings. What are your present sufferings? See, when we first read this, we just kind of read it. It's generic. It doesn't have any emotion in it. Until you begin to think about your present sufferings, and then it becomes very real to us. Because it's a real deal. Maybe for you, your present sufferings is health-related right now. Maybe your present sufferings, maybe they're financial. Maybe they are relational. It is possible that you are sitting next to your present sufferings right now, at this moment. <laughs> Don't look at them. They might be right next to you. And many of us, we had this false assumption. We had this assumption for a lot of us, that when we became a Christian, that we wouldn't have these sufferings anymore, that, that God would take them all away. And Paul says about these present sufferings, he goes, they're a given. Of course you have present sufferings. Of course you're going to have these challenges. And when these present sufferings come, they reveal where your hope is. They begin to reveal, they begin to show where you have leaned your ladder of hope in your life. All of this is revealed in us. And so Paul gives us the foundation for this. I want you to look at verse 18 again. He says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now that you have your present sufferings identified, maybe you've kind of circled them in your mind. You know what they are. Paul says, I want you to compare that, whatever it is, to the glory that's going to be revealed. I want you to compare whatever you're going through to the promise that one day we'll experience God's promise in heaven. Because when you compare these things, they don't compare at all. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. This rope right here 
if I can do this right, this rope right here, just kind of imagine that this rope goes on forever. It goes outside this building, and it goes on forever. Now imagine this rope is your existence. This is your existence, that you will exist somewhere forever. Now this red part, it's this part here on earth. Some of us get more years than others. You know, on average, we'll get about 80 or so years. Some of you will live longer than that. Some of us will live shorter than that. But we have about 80 years here on this earth. And for a lot of us, our entire life, it is focused on such a small area. For some of you, you are obsessed with something. I mean, we, you know, we, we grow up. We got to get good grades so that we can graduate and get into a good school. We get into a good school so we can get a good job and we get a good job so then we can settle down and buy a house and you buy a car and maybe you have somebody in your life and you have kids. And we have all of these things that consume our life. And we're so consumed with, with this portion right here. It's this portion here on earth. Sometimes we forget that this isn't all there is. And Paul talks about these sufferings that we go through. That some of you have some present sufferings in your life right now. You know what they are. And life is hard. And this isn't to minimize whatever you're going through. Because for every single one of us, life is hard. And we begin to look at, man, this this life is so hard. And whatever it's going to be, Paul says, yeah, but whatever you're going through right now, When you compare that to heaven, when you compare that to eternity, it is a drop in the bucket. When you compare whatever present sufferings that you have right now to heaven, because in heaven, in heaven there's going to be no more mourning, there's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more disease, all of that is gone. And whatever years you have now of present suffering that someday we're going to be in heaven for 10,000 years just getting started, and you're going to go, you know what? It was all worth it. Because we cannot compare our present sufferings for the glory that's going to be revealed, for what God is going to do in us. I don't know whether you know this or not, but around the world, the persecution of the Christians is at an all-time high. In 2015, 2015 was the worst year in modern history for the persecution of Christians. You want to know the second worst year? It's the year before, it's 2014. That we are living in unprecedented times of the persecution of Christians. In 2015, there was over 7,000 Christians who were executed, killed, murdered, beheaded because they were a Christian. In 2015, there was over 2,400 churches that were destroyed, they were blown up, they were burned down because they were Christian churches. And so you have to begin to go, how do they do that? Talk about present sufferings. Talk about present sufferings. Let me tell you how they do this. The church that's around the world is because When they compare it with what God has in store for us, when they compare it with heaven, there is no comparison. And Paul goes on here in these next few verses, and he talks about the brokenness that's in our world. He talks about the brokenness that we all face, that tension we face. And then he says this in verse 22. He says, we know that the whole 
creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We know that all of creation has been groaning because of all of these things going on. He says right up to childbirth. And Paul gives us a metaphor to give us the perspective of our present sufferings. To give us a perspective of the hope that we have. The metaphor, it's childbirth. He says when you, when you compare the sufferings of this life, it's like the pains of childbirth. Now, I have read, I do not have personal experience here, but I have read the two most powerful the most painful things that a person can experience on average is childbirth and passing a kidney stone. Now, ladies, I just want to say right now, I don't have any personal experience in this. I'm just telling you what I've heard. I'm just telling you what I've heard, that giving birth and passing a kidney stone are both extremely painful. But how people process this is completely different because it's possible after giving birth that a mother might say, I'd like to have another one. But you never hear someone after they've passed a kidney stone say, maybe God would bless us with another one. You just don't say that. It's not part of the follow-up. Why? See, the pain is intense for both, but the outcome is very different. One leads to a baby. The other leads to a stone. Very different outcomes. So how you process suffering is very different because we know on the other side, on the other side of whatever suffering we have, Paul says it's like childbirth, that it is so much better, that there is something on the other side that is so incredible. See, and what Paul is saying is if your hope is in heaven, then your sufferings are like the pains of childbirth. There is something so much better for you. And if your hope is not in heaven, then it's going to feel like passing a kidney stone. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. He goes on here in verse 23. And he says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He says, We wait eagerly for what God's going to do because God has adopted us as children. We wait eagerly for this, the redemption of our bodies, the hope of heaven. For in this hope you were saved. This is the hope that we have. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? See, if you hope for a new car, and then you get that new car, you don't sit in the new car and go, oh, I hope I get this new car. No, you already have it. Paul says, we don't hope for what we already have. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, he's given us this perspective of hope. He's given this perspective of hope. And hope, it's based, on the, it's, based, it's based on the promises of tomorrow. That whatever you're going through, whatever you are dealing with right now, that there is a promise that God has something better for you. That God has something more for you. And you compare it, it doesn't compare at all. But it's not just, it's not just the promise for tomorrow. It's hope in the promise of today. Because Paul now is going to shift gears and he's going to talk about, okay, these present sufferings, let me tell you about today. They don't compare anything with what heaven is, but let me tell you about today. And here's what he says in verse 26. These next couple verses, such, some of the most powerful verses in the Bible, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless 
groans. Did, did you catch that? That the Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness. This is not what I hope he does. This isn't, well, it'd be great if he did. It says the Holy Spirit helps us. And here's what he says, that the Holy Spirit prays for you. He prays to God on your behalf because the Holy Spirit knows what's in your heart, knows the things that you're dealing with, and speaks to God on your behalf. And some of you, you're going through it right now because you know what the present sufferings are. You know what you're dealing with. And when you go to pray, there is nothing that comes out. You, you cannot put your emotions into words that you try to pray and you have no words. Here's what the Bible says. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit prays to God on your behalf. And the words that come out as groans to you, that the Holy Spirit interprets those to God. That he's praying on behalf of you. And now, this verse that is one of the greatest promises in the entire Bible, Romans 8.28. It says, and we know. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things, God works to the good of those who love him, been called according to his purpose. If you're a believer in Christ, here's the confidence that we have is that we can know in all things, God works for the good. And notice, notice he's not saying all things are good. Because all things are not good. It says that in all things, God works for the good. That God can redeem any situation. Literally, this word works here, it means to work together, to be a partner. The root word is companion. So I want you to get this word picture here. Paul is saying that God becomes your companion in your life to bring good out of the bad. That God becomes your partner working beside you, side by side you, to bring whatever bad stuff has happened in your life, to bring good out of it. And the promise is, in all things, God does this. Not in some things, not in most things, in all things. It's the power of God, that God can make your weakness your strength. He can bring good out of the bad. He can make your tragedy your greatest victory. He can make it the story that you tell with your life. But here's what you need to see is this promise is not for everyone. Paul has done several of these in Romans 8. Remember, we start off where he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's another promise. It's a promise only for believers. He says, this promise is only for those, number one, who love God, and number two, who have been called according to his purpose. That's who this promise is for. This isn't a blanket promise for everyone. It is only for those who love God and been called according to his purpose. So what's this mean? What's this mean, those who love God? Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Let me ask it this way. If you loved your wife or your girlfriend, your husband, your boyfriend, your parent, your son, whoever, okay, just put whoever that is in your life. If you loved them with the consistency that you loved God, how would your relationship be? Would you only talk to them when you wanted something? Maybe engage with them once or twice a month, spend all your money, time, and attention on someone else? Absolutely not. 
Because when you love someone that is a relationship, see, God's love is not dependent on your actions. God's love is not dependent on your actions. But God working in your life apparently is. God works in our life in specific ways. And he says that for those who love God have been called according to his purpose. So what's being called according to his purpose? This is when God's purposes become your purposes. And we see this promise unfold in the Bible. Do you remember Joseph in the Old Testament? You know, he had the coat of many colors. His brothers sold him into slavery because they hated him so much. So they sold him to, into slavery into Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he gets accused of rape. He gets thrown into prison. And he gets forgotten by all of his friends. And he's left there to rot. But in a way that only God can work things out. So that God was with him. And in a series of events that only God could orchestrate, Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in the most powerful country in the world. And he's tasked with with preparing for this famine that's going to strike the world. Well, years later, he's in the palace and he's giving out food and his brothers show up. They thought he was dead. They hadn't seen him for years. And when Joseph reveals himself to them. They think he's going to kill him. But listen to what Joseph says to them. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He didn't say that their evil actions were good. He didn't even say that everything happens for a reason. It's not what he said. He said God was at work that in spite of their evil intent, God was at work to bring about good. And this is your story as well. That wherever you are, God is not done yet. That he is going to bring good out of the bad for those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. And then, verse 29, he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's plan from the very beginning is for you to become like Jesus. God's plan from the creation of the world is that you would become like his son. And the circumstances in your life have the ultimate purpose of making you like Jesus. God uses those things to make us like Jesus. So let me ask the question again. What are you leaning your ladder of hope against? What are you leaning your ladder of hope against? Because it's going to be very telling about where your life is today. Listen, I'm not saying that bad things don't happen. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have plans and dreams for your life. I'm just saying if you focused your hope on anything else other than God's promises to you, it is misplaced hope. It's misplaced. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line for today. The only way to maintain hope is to place your hope in the promises of God. See, this is the bottom line right here. You want to know how to maintain hope in a broken world where things go wrong and they're not how you want it to be, the only way to maintain hope is to put your hope in the promises of God because God is good for his promises. It's promises for tomorrow. That when you compare your present sufferings to what God has, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare because heaven is so much better. And it's the hope for today. 
It is hope for today that God will work all things for the good. And in the process, he is making you more like Jesus. My guess is if you got up on this stage today, you could tell the stories of some of the most painful things that you've ever walked through. You could tell the story of things that you've gone through that I've not gone through. And I have my stories as well. I have gone through some painful things in my past, things that I would never, ever want to go through again, but I would never take them away because it's what God has used to make me like Jesus. It's what God has used to chisel my character to be more like him. It's what God has used to make me who I am. So how do we respond to present sufferings? How do we respond? Well, Paul says in verse 23, he says, you wait eagerly. You wait eagerly for what God's going to do. Verse 25, he says, you wait patiently. Verse 19, he says, you have eager anticipation. He says, all of creation waits in eager anticipation for what God's going to do. Get this picture in your mind that all of creation is sitting at the edge of their seat in eager anticipation, looking at your life, going, God, what are you going to do? How are you going to make the good out of this? That all of creation is waiting in eager anticipation for what God is going to do. Although life is uncertain, God is not uncertain. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has not promised that everything will work out. God has not promised that. But he has promised that no matter what life throws at you, no matter what the enemy tries to take you out with, that God can redeem it. He can make the good out of the bad. The only way to maintain hope in this broken world is you put your hope in the promises of God. Monty Williams is a former NBA basketball player, played for many years in the NBA, and he's now an assistant coach with the NBA team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Well, two weeks ago, his wife, Ingrid Williams, was killed in a car accident. She was driving along, and there was another lady in an SUV who veered across the center lane and and hit Ingrid Williams head on, and she was instantly killed. Five kids, mother five, gone. One Thursday, they had her memorial service at the local church in Oklahoma City. And Monty got up to share in an audience full of NBA players and coaches and family and friends. And he shared about the hope that he has. He shared about this scripture that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, are called according to his purpose. Some of you, the reason that you're here today is because of this right here. Instead of me telling you about what he said, I want you to watch it. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if... I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. 
You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is.